We believe that we're called to enter the brokenness of other people's lives like Leanne and to speak a message of hope because that's what's happened to us. Two, we believe that we're called to trust our risen Savior. You know, but this, this is trust right here. What we're saying is that, God, you've shown up in my life, and I see it, and I trust you. Where we put the weight of our, of our everyday life on God, and oftentimes that looks like waiting. Often, often, more often than not, it looks like listening. It looks like praying. Three, we believe in restoration. We believe that we're called to bring restoration to our families, to our friendships, in our marriages. We believe that we're called to bring restoration to this community. So we partner with local mission organizations like Young Life that loves kids who are allergic to church, like the Morph Project where women experience metamorphosis as they're loved and, and transformed back to life with new clothes and makeovers, like Captive Hearts that Leanne helps run. And so we're just so grateful that we get to partner with amazing people who are doing work, good work, and then we ourselves get to do good work. So each one of these truths has a choice attached to them. We say this every week as a way of reminding ourselves. This is our little Ebenezer for being a disciple. And it goes like this. Read this with me. A disciple is one who walks intentionally with God, choosing to be changed by Jesus, choosing to seek Jesus first, and choosing to join Jesus in his resurrection work. Sometimes that choosing can be hard. Sometimes that choosing can be difficult. Sometimes that choosing, when God asks us to follow him, we go, wait, what? Because choosing Jesus in our everyday life, or our everyday life isn't predictable. I mean, our lives can change in an instant. And so what does it look like to choose God? Well, this is Abraham's story. And Abraham builds the first Ebenezer. And so that's what I want to preach on this morning. But first, let's pray. Heavenly Father, would you please fill us with your spirit, protect us. We bind up and mute everything opposed to Jesus that would be seeking to bother us or distract us now in Jesus' name. Father, we ask that you would open our ears and our spirits. We give you permission to speak to the deepest wounds and places in our hearts that you would bring your trust and your restoration and your hope to our lives. We love you, Jesus. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So today is about the first Ebenezer. That first moment when Abraham sees God working and he makes a pile of rocks. So that's where that's that's the end of this story. Just giving away the ending to you. Okay? Here it is. Let's read together Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. Ready? Oh, um, well, sorry, John. I'm not making this easy for my, son, my friend John Blanchard this morning. Is there a slide before that, John? Nope, there's not. I'll read it for you. Ready? Genesis 12, chapter 1. The Lord said to Abram, Leave your native country, your relatives, your father's family, 
and go to the land I will show you. Now Abram, who would be later renamed Abraham, must have been quite startled. When God says to Abram, leave, this word in Hebrew is this. Now that slide, John. It means, say this with me, lech lecha. But you got to give it right in the back of the throat. Lech lecha. Lech lecha. Right? So if you, right, when the dog's on the bed, lech lecha. When your spouse makes you mad, lech lecha. To your junior higher, lech lecha. And it means go, walk, get out of here, leave. Right? Now, God calls Abraham to leave Ur, which is like leaving L.A. Right? That's not hard. Okay? Nobody likes L.A. anyways. It's a nice place to visit. It's a great place to leave. But God asks for more than Abraham just to leave Los Angeles. He asks Abraham to leave his family, his relatives, his friends, his economic security blanket, his culture, his language, his um, retirement plan, which is the land that he owned, his very identity, and to leave at the age of 75 to a destination that he did not know. Now, some of you are 75 years old, okay? Not a lot of you, just some of you. And, and you know, if you're in that retired age, you know what it looks like and what it feels like to build a lifetime of belongings. By the way, please throw away stuff or give it away. Don't make your kids deal with it. Come on now. You got to start now, y'all. Like, don't wait till you're 90 and you're like, they can deal with it. Don't do that. So you know what it means to build a lifetime of belongings, of wealth, of good doctors. How many here have a good doctor? How many here are looking for a good doctor? Right? Of achievements, family, friends, familiar soundings, surroundings, uh, uh, just the size of the trees that grow in, the, in your backyard that you've been in for a while. Like all of the beautiful routines that you've had, you know where the best places to eat are, you know where the best places not to eat are, right? You got it kind of dialed in. Now, what if God said to you, leave all this, I'm not telling you where to go, but I'm here to lead you and we're just going to, you're just going to sell it all and we're going to leave. And you say to your family, hey, by the way, you know, mom and I are going to, we're, um, we're selling everything and we're leaving. And, and your friends, your family, they say, well, you know, I, well, that's exciting. You know, you found a new retirement place. Where, where are you going? And, and you say to them, well, no, no, we're not retiring. We're actually going to start over. Um, hopefully we'll have children. Um, but we're going to start this over. Your family and your friends they would immediately wonder what medications need to be adjusted, right? Now, I don't know about you, but if God called me, God talked to me and said, by the way, I want you and April to sell everything that you have and leave and go somewhere else, that would raise my anxiety just a touch. I mean, that's an understatement. Like, I don't want to God to interrupt my life. 
I like to know where I'm going. I like to know what I'm going to do. I like routine. I like predictability. I like having my fingertips, my technology at my fingertips so that I'm never lost and I know what's going on at all times. I like to be in touch. I like to be aware. Quite frankly, I, I like to avoid boredom at all costs. I like routines and schedules. I like to drive to work the same way every time because I know that if I go the other way, I'll lose a minute and a half. Do you do that? I call it my rabbit run, right? I want clarity, not murkiness. I want clarity about who I am and where I'm going and what I have and what's going to happen next, not the unknown. I want clarity. Can you relate with me? Like 14 of you are honest. Can you relate with me? Okay, thank you. Brennan Manning, uh, who passed away a couple years ago, he's a wonderful author and theologian. He tells a story in his wonderful book, Relentless Trust, about certainty and clarity. I've told you this before, but it's worth telling again. When the, Manning writes, when the brilliant ethicist John Cavanaugh went to work for three months at the House of the Dying in Calcutta, Kavanaugh, by the way, he professor at Notre Dame, worked in um, Washington, D.C. for various huge think tanks, big guy in the field. Kavanaugh went to Calcutta, worked in the House of the Dying. He was seeking a clear answer as to how to best spend the rest of his life. And in the first morning there, he met, he met Mother Teresa. And Mother Teresa asked him, and what can I do for you? And Kavanaugh said, would you pray for me, please? And Mother Teresa said, well, what do you want me to pray for? And he had gone, traveled thousands and thousands of miles from the United States. And Kavanaugh says this, pray that I might have clarity about what God wants me to do next with my life. And Mother Teresa said, no, I will not do that. <laughs> and Kavanaugh was like, Why? And she said this, clarity is the last thing that you're clinging to and must let go of. And Kavanaugh commented that she always seemed to have clarity. She laughed and said, I have never had clarity. But what I have always had is trust. So I will pray you trust God. So God says to Abram, Go, trust me. And God says to you, Go, trust me. I'm going to lead you now, sweetheart. Trust me. Trust me. See, when, when we trust God, that means that God can give us more than what we have right now. So often we cling so desperately to what we have thinking that this is it. And what God is saying is, I want your life to be a posture that looks like this so that I can take the good that I've already given you and replace it with something even better. But, but this is, is the posture of trust. And to go from here to here requires a decision from you. 
So what do you want to do? Now, Abraham has no clarity. Abraham has no certainty. And God is asking Abraham to trust him, to follow him. So how does Abraham know that this call to leave is actually from God? We just watched my favorite Christmas movie, The Christmas Carol from, from Charles Dickens. And do you remember what Ebenezer Scrooge, by the way, Ebenezer, you know that that whole movie is about his name, that Ebenezer forgets God's goodness in his life, and that's why he's a greedy turd. And then the ghosts come and help him remember God's goodness in his life, and it changes his life. <gasps> Ebenezer. Do you remember what Ebenezer tells Marley? his former business partner who's been dead seven years and shows up to him as a ghost. And Marley says, you don't believe that I'm real. And Scrooge says, what? Do you remember? You might be a bit of undigested beef. <laughs> it's a fabulous line, right? So maybe Abraham's going, maybe I had like a burrito and God's saying leave, but he really means like the burrito needs to leave. Like, how do you know if what God is saying to you is what actually God is saying to you. How do you know if it's God? Well, a couple years ago, uh, Joy Clatterbuck, my dear friend and the elder in our church, uh, forwarded me this email, and it gives us a great start in discerning what God's voice sounds like versus other voices, and especially the enemies or the world's voice in our own life. And, and this is, this is uh, here. God's voice stills you. The enemy's voice rushes you. God's voice leads you. The enemy voice pushes you. God's voice reassures you. The enemy's voice frightens you. God's voice encourages you. The enemy's voice discourages you. God's voice comforts you. The enemy's voice worries you. God's voice calms you. The enemy's voice obsesses you. God's voice convicts you. The enemy's voice condemns you. God's voice draws you always to Jesus. And the enemy's voice always leads you away. God didn't just tell Abram to leave his country and his family and strike out all by himself. God said, I'm going to lead you. I'm going to walk with you. Will you follow me? So God then gives Abram or Abraham a promise. It's a promise that we build our faith on. It's a promise that this Ebenezer represents. It's the promise that starts this thing called Judaism and Christianity. It's God's promise and covenant with all of us. And it goes like this. Read this with me. Go to the land that I will show you, and I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be best blessed through you. Wow. 
Okay, this, we're going to go through these verses just for a moment. Do you um, remember when we read scripture, uh, we're, we're looking for, because they don't have italicized and bold and underlined and animated gifts and, you know, words that stretch and pop and have fireworks. How does an author in the Bible want to emphasize a point? Do you remember their technique? They repeat. And so what's, rep- what's re- repetitive here? Bless, and then there's a phrase, I will. I will, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. Who will? Who will? This promise is about what God is going to do in Abraham's life and in your life. This this promise and this covenant is not about what you need to do. It's about what God is going to do for you. So let's unpack this promise. First, notice that Abram and Sarai are being promised children. That's no small thing. They're both 75. Well, back in the day, children were your retirement and health care plan. You needed someone to take care of you when you were old. You need someone to earn when you could no longer earn money. Does that make sense? So having no children was, a, I mean, that's massive fear, right? That's financial insecurity. But more importantly, this is a culture that is not based on the individual. This is a culture that is based on the family. So when you go to the Middle East, you never ask, how are you? You ask, how is your family? Because the unit, the base unit is not the individual, it's the family. And if you can't have a family that carries such shame and heartache and loss. So when God says to Abraham and Sarah, I'm going to bless you and I'm going to make you into a great nation, both their hearts are beating out of their chest with joy. Second, God is promising to make them great. That's amazing. They both need to hear that. They've just left everything that was great in their life. That's God calling you, saying that he's going to make you great. Right? And he's going to make a blessing. Now look at verse 3. Read this with me. Verse 3. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. We're going to see this in Abraham and Sarah's story over and over and over again. As they encounter people that are difficult, that want to do them harm, right? Those people fail in their attempts to destroy and harass Abraham and Sarah. Of course, Abraham does give his wife away to Pharaoh at one point. Um, And Abraham pays the price for it. Um, But this is what's going to happen. When people try to abuse and harass and destroy them, God always steps in. Did you know that this is true of the church? Think about every single government that has tried to persecute the church and what has happened to them. What happened to Egypt when they tried to destroy and kill Israel? Crumbled. What happened to Assyria? What happened to Babylon? All of them crumbled and destroyed. What happened to Rome when it tried to destroy the church? Crumbled and destroyed. What happened to Nazi Germany when it tried to kill the Jews? Destroyed. Every single country on the earth that tries to curse the church, Israel and the church, it does not go well for them. Because God's 
promise remains the same. See, God right now is blessing you. God right now is with you. Every attempt that the enemy has to destroy in your life, to separate you, to unravel God's goodness and plan for your life, God is working to thwart right now. Four years ago when Levi was eight, I reminded him of uh, what had happened to his brother. Levi was four and five when most of the surgery and whatnot was happening with Jonah. And at eight years old, he kind of, I don't know what happens to eight years old, but seven, eight years old at that point, there's something that awakens in kids and they become more and more aware of what's going on around them. <clears throat> and so he asked me, well, what happened with Jonah? And so I told him the story about the stroke and then the seizures and then the brain surgery and, and all of that. And his jaw was dropped at the entire time. He could not believe it. And when I was talking about how Jonah had survived all of these things, Levi started to smile. And at that point, I was like, why are you smiling? And he says this to me. Dad, the devil has tried to kill Jonah and God keeps on winning. Nothing can destroy our family. God is on our side. And he said that with a mostly clean shirt on. I know, that'll preach, right? That's good. Uh, man, I love that. Here I was telling this, um, you know, this sorrowful story to my son, and he flipped the whole thing on its head. And Levi saw it more clearly than I see it. Because what's our story? Your story is not defined by your trauma or your failures or your diagnosis. Yes, that's a part of your story. But your story is not defined by everything that went wrong or that's currently going wrong. Your story is defined by Jesus and his promise to you. And even in the middle of all your suffering, even in the middle of all your failures, God's promise to bless you, to make you great, so that you can be a blessing to protect you, still remains. Amen? Amen? You can clap to that. That's a good one to clap to. Amen. So what did Abraham do? He got this promise, right? What did he do? Well, you know the story. You know what Abraham's going to do. I'm more interested in what are you going to do? What will you do? Will you follow God? Will you listen to him and obey? Because you believe that he's smarter than you and better than you and good for you. So let's find out what Abraham does. Verse 4. So Abram departed as the Lord had instructed. Oh my gosh, it's like the fourth example of obedience in the entire Bible. It's amazing. And headed for the land of Canaan. Skipping ahead, then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, I will give you this land to your descendants. And Abraham built an Ebenezer there and dedicated it to the Lord who had appeared to them. So he builds his stack of rocks. Abraham goes to Canaan. It's this place called Shechem, and it's actually the hills that surround modern-day Jerusalem. God says, I'm going to give you this land, and his promise came true. And so Abraham builds this Ebenezer, this altar made out of stacked stones. Why does Abraham do this? 
to remember, to remember. Well, what difference does remembering make? Well, when you remember that God is with you, you can trust God to be your guide. When you remember that God is with you and protecting you, you can fight for something important because you know that Jesus has got your back. When you remember that God is with you and blessing you, you can risk blessing other people with your finances, with your time, with your energy. Why? Because you know that you can never run out of blessings. Every time that you go to give, you look back, you've got more to give. Does that make sense? This is why we remember. We remember because we rem remembering changes us. Once you start acknowledging and remembering and understanding that God is all around you and in moving in every single situation, that there's no situation in your life where God says, ooh, I, yeah, I don't deal with that. Once you start remembering that God is involved in every single situation in your life, you begin to start seeing him everywhere. And what you start realizing is that the blessings and the protection, that's just the fruit of God's presence with you. When you remember that God is with you, the greatest gift that you receive is God himself. And so the moment that you pursue Jesus, the moment that you eyes are awakened to this reality and you begin to talk to him about your life and are honest with him about your life, you will receive resistance. It's like walking into the wind. You're going to fall asleep after praying for two minutes. You can watch Netflix for nine hours straight. You won't be able to read the Bible. You can flip through the nine catalogs that came to your house this last week, but reading one page of scripture will feel overwhelming. That's resistance. You'll leave and substitute learning about God for talking to him. To remember God's faithfulness, you simply need a moment with him. A moment, maybe praying with friends or your spouse or your loved one, or a moment alone where you connect with the God of the universe who has promised blessing to you. You see, there's always going to be resistance to you following Jesus because the moment that you follow Jesus, that's what makes you dangerous. Now, most of us, what we like to do is we want Jesus to follow us. I'm going this way, God. Bless my plans. Thank you. God, here's what I want you to do, and here's what I want you to do. This is my plan for my life. Isn't that great? Come on, bless me. Let's go. Chop, chop. In Jesus' name, what do I have to do? You want me to give money to the church? Okay, fine. 20 bucks. Here you go. Ready? Bless my plans. Let's go. That's what we do. That's what we do. God wants you to follow him. God wants you to say, Pray these kinds of prayers, your kingdom come, your will be done. There's a woman named, young woman named Naomi. She wanted to go to college, so she's applying to college. And on every single college application, 
the question, the college applications all ask this, are you a leader? And Naomi was really good at a lot of things, but she was not going to be some leader. And so she had the opportunity, do I lie on my college entrance application and say, oh yes, I'm a leader, I've led in all of these ways, uh, or does she tell the truth? And Naomi's like, you know what, I'm, I'm just going to tell the truth. If I don't get into any colleges, so be it. And so she wrote down on the application, no. Are you a leader? One word, no. And she got into the college of her dreams, and when she read the acceptance letter of the college of her dreams, it, it read this. Dear Naomi, a study of the applicant's forms reveals that this year our college will have 1,452 new leaders. We are accepting you because we feel it is imper imperative that they have at least one follower. <laughs> That was good. Thank you, Sherry. Oh, an answer to prayer. Are you a follower? Are you a follower of Jesus? Will you let God lead you? Well, maybe you don't have enough evidence. Maybe you need more proof. I mean, you've been burned before. I get it. You see the world clearly. You're no fool. So God gives us proof. God the Father said to Jesus what he said to Abraham and Sarah. He said to Jesus, Lech Lecha. Leave everything you know and trust me. And so Jesus left everything he knew. His country was heaven. His extended family, the host of heaven. His primary family, Father and the Spirit. And he made the journey into the great unknown for you and me. He gave up everything for us, his comfort, his security, his power, his position, the peace and joy of heaven for us. He became fully human, born to poor teenage parents on a country under military occupation, born into fragility and uncertainty and no clarity in this world. See, Jesus is the true and better Abraham and Sarah. He gave up way more than they did to follow God's direction. Not for his blessing, but for ours. And all the promises God makes to Abraham and Sarah, those promises are made true in our lives by Jesus himself. Jesus gives up his greatness so that he can make us great. He blesses us even when we're his enemies. Even when you disobey and scorn his name, he blesses you by forgiving you. He blesses you by taking all of your curses on his shoulders, the curses of the whole world onto his body on the cross, and he dies for you so that you might be blessed and then Jesus defeats death in his resurrection so he can create resurrection life in us. And Jesus gives us a brand new land, a brand new home. It's called the church. And a new inheritance. It's called the Holy Spirit. And then Jesus continues to love us with a never-ending, never-stopping love so that filled with his love, you and I might be a blessing to everyone around us. Is this enough evidence for you? Yes. 
You get to make a decision today. Is this enough evidence for you? Would you be willing right now to make a decision to follow Jesus? And here's the best part. Like when you trust Jesus with your life, when you follow him, not only are you blessed way more than you could imagine, but you get the greatest blessing of all. You get Jesus himself. Maybe you have another piece of paper with you. And if you do, maybe that's a piece of paper you can write a decision down on. And when we're leaving here today, maybe you could place that in here in all these beautiful spots and places. See, this Ebenezer today is about being thankful for what God has done in our life, but it's also about a moment in time where you get to make a choice. Maybe you're saying yes to Jesus for the first time today. And if that's true, man, I want to pray for you. I want to know that so I can pour all the resources of this church out into your life. And maybe you're saying yes to Jesus in a very specific area of your life that you've been struggling with for a while. And I want to encourage you to share that with a friend. Maybe you've made a decision today to trust Jesus with an old wound or heartache. And if you feel safe enough, boy, we'd like to know. We'd like to support you along the way. Can we pray? Lord Jesus, we give thanks to you today. For choosing Abraham and Sarah, in grace and love, for choosing us the exact same way. Lord, sometimes we feel a bit schizophrenic. We say yes to you in moments like this, and then five hours later, we've said no again. Lord, help. I just pray for the Holy Spirit to rest upon each person here that you would give them the love in their heart for you that would move them to keep on choosing you every day. And I pray for each of them this week as they gather with friends and family to celebrate Thanksgiving. I pray that they might be a blessing that their words would be full of encouragement and love to each one of their family members, the ones they love and the ones that they're having a hard time with. Bless them. And Jesus, for those of us in this room that will spend Thursday alone or at work, I pray your special anointing, and comfort, and peace upon their hearts. And all God's people said,